I wonder if you recall this great election manifesto. Our top priority was, is and always has been, education, education, education. It overcome decades of neglect and to make Britain a learning society, developing the talents and raising the ambitions of all of our young people. At a good school, children gain the basic tools for life and work. But they also ought to learn the joy of life, the exhilaration of music, the excitement of sport, the beauty of art, the magic of science. And then they learn the value of life, what it is to be responsible citizens who give something back to their community. 2001, Tony Blair, as he saw a second term in office, and the public went mad for it, and Labour won by a landslide victory. Politicians talk a lot about education, investing in the next generation to give them the best education that they can. And I believe Psalm 78, as we come to it this morning, exhorts us as Christians to give the next generation the best education we can. Whether it's as parents here, as grandparents, as aunties and uncles, as teachers, as Sunday school teachers, as Hall, the Bible club helpers, as the gathered church as a whole. In our prayers, I believe Psalm 78 is going to tell us that we should be given the children that God has given us the best education possible. But it's different to the education that the politicians talk about. I believe Leave us one writer has said, the best education is education in the best things. The best education is education in the best things. So what are these best things? Is it a command of the English language? Is it agility in arithmetic? Is it excelling in music? Is it competing at sport? Is it creating in art? Well, I believe not. I believe it's ultimately excelling and knowing the things of God. The best education is an education that tells our children and the generation to come how great God is and what he has done for us and how we can respond to him. Because after all, what should it profit the next generation to come if they gain the whole world through a wonderful education and yet forfeit their soul? As the children have gone out to Sunday school today, what should it profit them if they get an A in their 11 plus, A's in their uh, A A levels, first class degrees at university and yet forget and haven't been taught by us, the gathered church, how great God is and what he has done for them. Even if you go uh, back a few hundred years, theology, which is the study of God, what we do as a church as we read your Bible, you're doing theology. It was known as the queen of sciences. Why? Because it was education in the best things. It was education on absolute truth of God's word. There was no theories. It was based on the truth of God's word. As we come to Psalm 78 today, and we'll read it as we go. It's a historical psalm, just like Psalm 77 was last week. It tells us the history of Israel. But it's also a wisdom psalm in that it seeks to, to help us to learn, to grow, and develop. Verses 1 to 8 that we're going to focus on today are quite like Proverbs, actually. It's seeking to help us to become wise and to learn from history. It isn't just a history 
lesson. We're, we're going to learn lots of facts about the history of Israel. It's so that we learn the lessons from history for today. Because sadly, one thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. It's a psalm written by Asaph. He was likely a contemporary of David who led the Israelites in music in their, in their praise to God. And it's actually interesting, I found that the second longest psalm in the Bible, but you'll be glad, tea and coffee is coming, and we're just going to focus on verses 1 to 8. So as we think about giving the, the next generation the best education, how does it begin? Well, it begins with a call to attention. A call to attention. Read in your, your, your Bibles there. It says, Oh my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. Possibly you have been in a situation in work or in a sports team and the boss calls you all into the function room or the coach calls you all into the change rooms or the captain calls you all in and you're all sort of quite jovial and says, hey, listen up. This is important. I want you to hear this. Things aren't going well in the office. Things aren't going well on the, on, on the field. And here's what we've got to change. Asav is calling the nation of Israel together and says, hey, listen up. Just like an army drills surgeon says, attention! He wants people to really listen in to what he is saying to them. See, it's version says, He's saying to lean in and listen carefully. Tune your hearts to the ears and melodies of the gospel. A 2022 translation could say, turn off your phones. Disconnect. Stop daydreaming. Stop coasting along with life and listen up to what I am saying. Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. Another writer has said that we need to call people to listen closely. Men must be awakened and aroused, such as our dullness and slowness of heart, to understand and believe what the Lord said to us. That we have a great need to be admonished and stirred to attention and hearing with faith. I don't know about you folks, but I need to be called to attention nearly every day. Every part of the day. I'm slow to get it. And here the psalmist and the Holy Spirit through his inspired word today calls us to attention, calls us as Gilnahirk Baptist Church to listen up to what he is saying. I hope you're listening. He goes on in verse 2 to say, I will open my mouth in parables. I will other things hidden, things from of old. Asaph here is given an overview of what he is going to tell him. He's going to gift them a history lesson. And he says there quite interestingly, I will open my mouth in parables. You're possibly thinking, well, Jesus is the only really one who talked in parables in the Bible. Well, think about parables. It's a visual illustration, and there's a hidden meaning behind it. And here, some of us is using history as a visual illustration for the Israelites today and for us today, and says, there's a hidden key behind all of it that will unlock what it really means to us. And it actually goes through and says, and the key is that history isn't just a random occurrence of events. 
History is something that God is in total control of. God is totally sovereign over every last uh, inch of history. He is sovereign over it all. And the rise and the fall of Israel, the slavery and captivity, God is in control. He wants the Israelites today to see that God is a God of history. He wants us to see that God is great and that they are not. To see that God is faithful even whenever the Israelites are faithless. That God is full of grace and we are full of sin. And if you go home and if you read the rest of yourself, you'll see how gracious God was to them in two big portions about the captivity and slavery in Egypt and about the wilderness experience. And you see just how good God was to the people of Israel. And yet just how they continue to turn their back on God. So lessons from history. So God is ever so gracious to us. And yet we as a human race have this natural bent away from God and to serve ourselves. So as we begin to show the next generation what the best education is, it is not that they are enough. It is not that they are simply amazing and can go on to change the world. No, it has to be that God is enough. It has to be that they are in desperate need of Christ. It has to be that God is amazing. Yes, they are wonderful. They've been created uh, intricately and they are amazing to be created in the image of God. Yes, they are marvelous, but they are totally marred as well by sin. We need to teach our children that they need, they desperately need Christ. And Asaph here is using history to show them. You're thinking, well, why is Asaph so worried about all of these things? Or who has he heard this from? Verse 3 goes on, says, What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. I don't know if any of you remember the days before Google, where Google told us everything. Or Britannica Encyclopedia, where we find out things there. But people learn by the generations above them, just passing down orally facts, truths, and things of history. My grandparents loved telling stories of whenever they were a boy. Jonathan loves to tell us whenever he was young. The older generation loved to tell us all of these things. And that's how Asaph and how and how the works of God have been passed on from generation to generation by people telling them. Possibly around a campfire. Possibly retelling the stories of old. And you're saying, well, Keith, why did they do this? Well, it was a man from God from the Passover. He says, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. God wanted the generations in Israel to pass on his mighty works. Because reality is, even if we write everything down in a book, people don't learn from just books. They need a teacher. Even the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, he had the whole uh, school of Isaiah. And he says, well, how can I understand unless somebody shows me what this means? The next generation need a teacher to teach them. And Asaph here is calling Israel and the people to attention. As we think about the application to our own lives today, I wonder who told you about the things of God. 
who took time out. Was it godly parents, godly grannies, a Sunday school teacher, an older person in your church? Let's give thanks for them today. Let's then go on to think, well, how can I be a person like that? Who can I pass this on to as well? As God hopefully calls you to attention today, who can you pass this on to? Maybe it's your children, your wider families, some of the children who've gone out to Sunday school, possibly the children who come in for the holiday Bible club. This is an opportunity. And Asaph and these verses that he says, are we listening? As we seek to give the, the next generation the best education possible, are we listening? A call to attention. Secondly, as we go on, a call to instruction as well in verses 4 and 5. And hopefully you haven't fallen asleep yet. If verse 4 goes on and says, we will hide from them. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation. We will tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He has decreed statutes with Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Asaph wanted this pattern of one generation telling the following generation about God to continue through his generation. He, he didn't want his generation to be the dead end. He wanted it to be passed on. Down. He says, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell. Asaph here is intentional. Quite often he says, we will, we will, I will. Over the past few years, as I said, uh, George has begun going to Valley Home Primary. And unfortunately, we couldn't get him into a good school, so we sent him there. And one of his favorite things to do is something called show and tell. I just think it's uh, teachers who haven't prepared anything and just say, well, over to you guys to take the lesson. So George nearly every week brings something in to show and tell. And I dread to think what he brings in and shares sometimes. But this is what the psalmist wants to do. He wants to show. He doesn't want to hide. So he wants to show. Don't hide it from them. And he wants to tell the next generation. We will not hide from our children and we will tell. So the psalmist wants to show and tell. But the question is, what are we going to show and tell the generation? Well, it's the works and the words of the Lord as it goes on. The works and the words of the Lord. If you want to give the next generation the best education, it's to tell them the works and the words of the Lord as described here in the psalm. The works of God are his praiseworthy deeds, his powers and his wonders, which are really his miracles. And he goes on throughout the rest of the psalm to explain what these have been throughout history. It's really a poetic retelling of the history of Israel. And if we scan down from verses 13 through to 16 and then 43 to 55, you see what God has done. He defied the sea. He made the water. He guided them. He split the rocks. He brought the streams. He redeemed. He displayed his wonders. He turned. He sent swarms. He gave crops. He destroyed vines. He gave over their cattle. He unleashed. He prepared. He did not spare. He struck down. He brought. He guided. He brought. He drove out the nations. History is God's 
story. It is his story. So as we seek about passing on the works and the word of the Lord, as we look through history, we're able to say, well, God did it. God is in control of all of this. We need to give our children a God-shaped worldview that history is his story. As we think about it for us in reality of living after Christ and all that Christ has done for us, can't we pass on the praiseworthy deeds, the power and the wonder and the wonders of Christ? The man, the God man who walked this earth, who fed the five thousand, who healed the sick, who calmed the storm, who raised the dead, who forgives sin, who chose the cross, who rose again, who ascended to heaven, who's ruling and reigning today, who's praying for us today, who has defeated Satan and who is coming back again to redeem the church. We have a lot to tell our children, don't we? We say, Keith, is that everything that we can tell the next generation about? Well, tell them about church history as well. Jim Elliott, Corey Tent, Boom, Hudson Taylor, uh, uh, Martin, the third list goes on of people that we can tell our children about. And let's get personal as well. An older person's sitting here today. Tell a teenager how God has saved you. Tell a teenager how God has kept you. Tell a teenager how you've proved God through difficult times. Tell the young families who have children who are pulling their hair out. Tell them how God has helped you through that. Offer to help yourselves. But as a church family, to be passing on from one generation to another, how God has helped us personally, as well as through our church history and in God's word itself. Peter and John in Acts were after they had seen all that Christ had done for them and they, and they were put before the court and said, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have heard and seen. I wonder, can we help telling our children about God? Not only the works of God, but also the word of God as well. See there in verse 5, it says, He decreed statutes in Jacob. He established the law in Israel. Here, this psalmist is really, tell them God's word. Tell them God's law. Tell them about the five books of the Pentateuch, including the Ten Commandments. It really takes us back to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. These commandments I give you to be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk in the room, when you lie down and get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on the door frames on your houses and gates. God wants parents. He wants this generation to tell the next generation about God. To talk to them. To impress upon them. To, to have our homes covered in it. So what should we tell them? Who should show? Who should do the show and tell? Well, this psalmist goes on which we commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born, they in turn would tell their children. Here we see five generations passing on the praiseworthy works, the deeds and the miracles and the power of God. It should be all of us. But you see here, it doesn't say, and the Sunday school teachers alone are to do it, or the pastors, the elders, the office bearers, 
or to do or the whole like Bible clubs or to do No, the focus here in the Bible is primarily on the parents. It's the parents' responsibility for the discipleship of their children. And it's wonderful to have a church family who can help. It's wonderful to send their kids to schism and out to Sunday school to help to have a different perspective. But if you're a parent here today, a grandparent, it is your defined responsibility, it is my defined responsibility to tell my children and for you to tell your children about God. And we can't save them. So frustrating. But we can tell them, we can carry out our duties and leave God's work to God. It's only God who can save them. So don't feel guilty today. If you have taught your children about God and if they're far away from him today, it is God's work to save. It is nothing that you can do. God has asked you to be faithful, to honor him through through sharing the Bible through your words and your works and your actions to your children. And it is God's work to save them. Continue to pray for them. As a church family, as you gather on Wednesday, why not pray for those who have children who are outside of Christ today? Pray for the children yet to grow up as well. This is a New Testament as well. Ephesians 6, 4, uh, 2 Timothy 3. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the fear of the Lord. Let's work together as a church. Let's encourage our parents. I give a talk on Psalm 78 about five years ago, before I was really a parent. Um, It's hard. I didn't realize five years ago just quite how hard it would be. But let's work together to pass on to the next generation. Let's not hide anything, but declare everything. One writer says, Give the next generation something that does not wither or fade, something that does not pass away, something that does not change, something that was never going to go out of date or relevance. Give them something to guide through their life, something that will nourish them when they are hungry. Give them something they can look to in times of trouble and grief. Give them God's word. Give them God. We've been called to attention. We've been called to instruction. Thirdly and finally, and shortly, we've been called to influence as well. What is the purpose of all of what we are seeking to do? What is the purpose of telling the next generation all the works of God, of doing our Bible readings with our children before they go to bed as we, as we seek to teach them from creation as well. Verse 6 and 7 tell us, So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. They would in turn tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Our duties belongs to us to, to listen up and to instruct them and the results belong to God. And yet as one rather Kidner has said, Scripture has no place for parental neutrality either. But we're called to influence our children as best as we can, knowing that it is, it is a divine act of grace that anybody should put their trust in God. And that one more person in this world should even consider Christ is the fact that God is revealing Christ to them. It isn't that suddenly somebody 
uh, wait till thinks, oh, it would be a good idea to believe in somebody who, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago who claimed to be God. It's only God who opens our blind eyes, Ephesians 6 to our uh, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, to who God is. We were dead in our transgressions, Ephesians 2, but God has raised us, God has given us new life, so we need to pray. What would the result be? What is the influence we are seeking? So that the next generation would know God, would tell others, would trust in God and keep his commands. To trust, think, obey. Trust with our hearts, think with our heads, and obey with our hands. Head, hearts, and hands. That the next generation would be different to the culture around us. I had the joy last week of uh, seeing some of the young people at SISM who were leading Valley Home SISM were actually people I had in a youth group 10 or 15 years ago who were passing on to the next generation about God. It's one thing for children and youth to hear about God, but how great it is that Jack is in the Czech Republic telling the next generation in a different country about him. Or the folks down in Waterford. How brilliant it is, not just that they have heard it, but that have sought to go on and tell it as well. And at the Holiday Bible Club, as the parents come in, are you going to be here to welcome them at the door, to tell the children, to tell the parents, to put on the best barbecue we can so that we have as many conversations as we can? And yet, this week I was challenged. As I long for my six-year-old and a two-year-old to know God to go on to tell their generation. One writer said, you cannot expect to lead your child any higher in the Christian faith than you are willing to go yourself. So put God first in your life. Demonstrate to your children what it means to trust God in all areas of life. Model it for them. So here's a challenge for us. With our hearts, our heads, and our hands, are we obeying God as we model it to the next generation? The next generation won't do it if we don't do it. I wonder how are we doing at growing to be holy, to be unlike the world around us and to be more like Christ. Because we have great hopes for our children, rightly so. We want them to go on and to make a difference in this world. But what about us? How are we doing this morning? And the great hope for our children isn't that they get a wonderful job, a great career in the world of sport or a, a great pay packet at the end of it, get hired and settled down. Our greatest hope for our children is that they put their hope, trust and obedience to God so that they wouldn't, in first eight, be like their forefathers who weren't loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And yet from history, we know our hearts are turned away from God. So let's be gracious and patient with the generation to come. Let's realize what we were like as well. Let's continue to pass it on as we consider our example. Let's ultimately continue to point our children and the next generation to the example of Christ, who perfectly obeyed, who perfectly thought the right things, who perfectly followed the Father's will, and he gave himself for our generation and the generation to come, for all who believe in him. Just to close, we have a, 
I quote, um, as we think about the Labour Party, education, education, education. It's what the politicians talk about. But what is the church to talk about? Christ. 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 Let's give the next generation Christ. What marvelous opportunity we have to give them Christ in our culture, in our church, in our holiday Bible club. Let's make the most of it and leave the results then to God. Let's pray. Father, our our kids and the generation coming up are growing up in crazy days where everything is being redefined, where your word is undermined at every opportunity, where where everything is considered equal and true except if it's in your word. So, Father, I pray for us as a as a church, Father, I pray for churches around our land. Father, I pray that you'd help us to train our children to navigate culture and the biblical wisdom with radical faith. And, Father, would you help us to give our children grace? Father, would we give the next generation examples to follow, lessons to be learned? And, Father, would they, in true time, Father, would you be so, ever so gracious to open their eyes to who Christ is? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.